0: I'm excited to be able to share the Word of God with you guys this morning uh, on my last Sunday. Um, I think the uh, Sunday when we announced that we were transitioning, uh, you know, some of you guys were here, but some of you guys may not have been here. And in case you were not, I just want to express again thank you to each and every one of you for all that you guys have done and the support and the way that you guys have poured into uh, my life and my family's life over the years. It has definitely been a blessing to us um, Thank you, um, means a lot, and uh, we take we take that with us. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> <All right. laughs> um, We take your investments with us as we move forward, knowing that your guys' investments in our lives will germinate fruit in the lives of other people uh, and the Church of Stroudsburg when we're there. So thank you guys so much. Appreciate each and every one of you. All right, cool. Let's, uh, let's get into the Word of God this morning. Amen. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, God, to, uh, to preach your Word. Lord, I, I'm so grateful, God. It, it's, it's really, truthfully, your Word. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, God. It is the foundation. It is the crux of everything. And so today, God, in this moment, Lord, I lean upon it once again, Lord, because simply at the end of all things, God, if if we don't have your word, God, we have nothing. So we thank you for it today. Lord, I ask that your word would examine our hearts today, that you would speak to us through the power of your spirit, draw us closer to you and deeper into relationship with you, I ask. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen amen well this morning i want to share with you guys a message entitled gospel fluency and so we're going to be in the book of second timothy chapter four verses one through five that's going to be the main text that we'll uh unpack today uh so if you have your bibles you can turn there you have your phone or whatever ipad whatever you can you know zoom there that's great um the book of Timothy, or 2 Timothy specifically, that we're talking about today, this letter is Paul's final letter to Timothy. Uh, you know, Paul has been going through some things, he's in prison, in Rome, uh, and then he's at the end of his life, so it just kind of felt like appropriate. And I was like, oh man, this is the end of this season here, this era here, and so this passage of Scripture just really spoke to me and brought to my mind at least different levels like, of, of things to like, talk about, but I wanted to try and zero in on one specific thing. Because when you look at Life, you know, oftentimes a person's last words is kind of like the most important thing they want you to kind of get, the most important thing they want you to walk away with. And uh, I look at the life of Jesus as he's about to ascend right uh, into the clouds before he's, uh, you know, leaves this earth. He tells his disciples, Look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples. He makes that very clear. Look, you guys got to be making disciples. And then he tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, the gift. Of the Holy Spirit, and so uh, in that moment as well, right, Jesus is highlighting some very important things that we need to be making disciples, and that we can 't I tell the students this tell the students this all the time, but we can 't live for God without God, so go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to empower you to do this, to go to the nations to Jerusalem, Judea, and the far reaches of the earth in this letter. Paul is trying to encourage Timothy because Timothy has been left uh, to oversee the the church in Ephesus. He's pastoring the church in in Ephesus there. And so Paul is writing to encourage him. He's like, hey, man, listen, step into this leadership. Step into this calling. Step into who you are. And then on top of that, he's also encouraging him to combat false teaching. So he's telling, him, hey, listen, there's people around you who are going to try to teach things that are different than the gospel. And so he tries to encourage Timothy in that moment. Also says, listen, I want you to lock into what is important, and that thing is the gospel. And so as I'm thinking about all of the, the emotions of today for me, right, and then also like what's the last thing that I would want to say to this place, this is what it is, gospel fluency. And so it resonates in my heart today to share with you guys from Second Timothy Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Let's read together. It says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul says to Timothy, preach the message. And we'll come back to this in a little bit. But he says, preach the message. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. He says, for there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. And then he goes on to say, and they will turn away from hearing the truth. But on the other hand, they will turn aside to myths. You, however, be self-controlled in all things, endure hardship, do an evangelist's work, fulfill fulfill your ministry. I want us to unpack this morning what Paul charges to Timothy, and, and really truthfully what he charges to him is to be a proponent of the gospel, and, and if you hear nothing else this morning, that's my charge to you, that If you've never heard anything that I've said and you've maybe like blocked it out, you threw it in the trash, whatever you thought possible, listen, you have to be a proponent of the gospel. The gospel has to flow from your life. Each and every one of us have an opportunity to preach the gospel, whether in speech or in deed. But I'm telling you, if you've made the decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you have a mandate to exemplify the gospel, to allow the gospel to spill out from your life so that people can know Jesus. Paul's words here to Timothy aren't just for him, but they can be applied to us today, that we too should urge, be urged in our hearts and in our souls to preach the message, whether it's convenient or not. Some versions say, preach the word in season or out of season. The NET says whether it's convenient or not. And I love that the the Greek word for message there has a couple different meanings. It's preach the message, preach the gospel, and then one of them is preach the argument. Make the case why Jesus is better. Man, I love what Paul is unpacking for Timothy in this moment. A few weeks ago, Pastor Matt spoke about the woman at the well, and when I think about this idea of preaching the message, this passage of Scripture about the woman at the well comes to my mind. Because when Jesus is there and he's speaking to the woman at the well, he says, what I offer you, man, it brings about springs of living water inside of people. And when you and I preach the gospel, that's exactly what happens. People come to life. Springs of living water well up inside of them. And as those springs of living water well up inside of them and begin to overflow, the residuals of that overflow begin to spill over into the lives of others. When they come in contact with life, they themselves come to life. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that in that passage, Jesus is using the idea of a spring to communicate living water and this idea of not being thirsty anymore, because in reality, when it comes to us as human beings, we're thirsty, like thirsty, thirsty. Some of you are like, oh, yes, I am parched right now. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, a youth colloquialism uh, of being thirsty, okay? thirsty meaning desperate insatiable chasing after of things and so i think it's no coincidence that jesus is using that illustration in that moment to communicate the hearts of human beings because we honestly have this tendency to build these places of idol worship and they distract us from what we really need which is the gospel in fact, I would argue that sometimes for us as believers, we make a decision to accept the gospel, to live out the gospel, and yet we still be thirsty for different things of this world. If we want to be effective with what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy, I have one point, and then I have 4 subpoints. so I don't want to lie to you, I don't want to lie to you. Of have one main point in four simple. If we want to be effective with what Paul is teaching Timothy in this moment about preaching the gospel, then I, I would urge you to understand this one main point today. You have to daily allow the gospel to measure you first. See, oftentimes when we preach messages or hear messages about, listen, you got to preach the gospel Our minds kind of do this thing where like, yes, amen, I got to go tell somebody about Jesus. I got to tell somebody about the truths of the gospel. But if you really want to maximize gospel fluency, if you want to maximize what Paul is trying to tell Timothy, this has to be the first step, that you allow the gospel to measure you first. If you're not allowing the gospel to measure you first, then you're missing out on the depths to which the gospel really impacts a person's life. And when you really allow the gospel to affect you at the root of who you are, man, you will start to see incredible fruit blossom in your life. Now, can I just be honest? We amen stuff like that, right? We're like, oh, amen. Yes, Lord. We amen stuff like that, but we don't always believe it. We don't always believe it. We come to these points in our life where we say to ourselves, well, you know what? I I believe this, but like your actions begin to betray you and start to show that you may not actually believe it fully. So in an effort, in an effort to preach the gospel, and we'll get back to our main text in a minute. But in an effort to really, truly preach the gospel, we have to allow the gospel to measure us first, measure us first daily, and here's some ways that I think that we can do that. So, letter A, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. I tell the students this every now and again, and so I'll just relay it to you, but like, Jesus died for the real you, not the Photoshop version of you. Not the fake version of you. Not the version of you that you put together to present in front of other people. No, he died for the real you. And when you can accept the real you, then you can actually accept the depth at which the gospel is working in your life. See, sometimes we like to have these moments in our faith journey, in our faith walk, that are rooted in what I like to call moralistic behavior modification. It's moralism at best. It's not really truthfully a full acceptance of the gospel. It's just me changing my actions to make it look like I've actually changed when my heart has remained the same. Behavior modification is not gospel-centered. Behavior modification is y'all-centered. When I say that, I'm talking about myself. I modify my behavior so that you can accept me. I modify my behavior so that you could have a perception that the gospel has affected my heart and in my life. But real gospel fluency is when my actions are transformed because of something that's taking place on the inside. That's the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. And if I'm being honest with myself, it means I'm being honest with who I am and who I'm not, right? Who I am and who I'm not. And the same must be for you, that you're honest with yourself and say, this is who I am. I am this. I am this type of person. This is who I'm not. I am not this type of person. And in that honesty, you start to see the beauty of the gospel. See, I have a pastor friend of mine who explains it like this. He says that Sin isn't just an action, it's a state of being. We aren't sinners because we sin, we sin because we are in fact sinners. We're sinners. And so our natural disposition, the natural outflow of our life is sin. It's to choose the opposite of what God would have for us. Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where they ask you that question, they're like, if you would never get caught, would you do this? Oftentimes that's a great indicator, sheesh, it's a great indicator of where you put your trust, where your heart really lies. Making this assessment of who we are and who we're not is important because it allows for us to take a step and ask ourselves, have we really allowed the gospel to fully labor itself into the core of who we are? Have we actually allowed the gospel to fully work its way into the crevices of our hearts, to the darkest, deepest parts of who we really are, and bring about transformation? The Greek word for sin is hamaratia, which means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. And when it comes to missing the mark, oftentimes we tend to miss the mark when it comes to our belief. Our belief, when it comes to the gospel, a lot of times is partial, if we're being honest. We believe the gospel for certain things, and then we don't necessarily believe the gospel for other things. Can I'm i just, just going to preach. Is that okay? I'm just letting you know ahead of time so that you're just like, you know, I don't want you to be caught unawares. I'm just going to talk about the real, right? Oftentimes, when it comes to our walk with Jesus, we say we believe God for this. We believe God for that. But the minute we sin, it's actually an indicator that we've chosen not to believe in God for this and not to believe in God for that. That's what sin oftentimes is. Can I just get in it? Is that okay? There are moments and times for Many people who make a decision to follow Jesus, where they trust in God to be the orchestrator of their life, but if they click on a website that leads them deeper into an addiction, into pornography, what they're actually saying is that they don't necessarily believe in that moment, the gospel, fully. That's the truth. Okay? Step over here. (laughs) Sometimes... When the gospel says that you are free, the Bible says that whom the Son has set free is free indeed, and yet in this moment you choose to indulge in another bottle of whatever it is you have in your cabinet because you just need to take the edge off, that type of language indicates that you're choosing this rather than what the gospel says about you, that you're free and that you don't need it. But when you use language like, no, but I need this. You're not choosing freedom. Right? So oftentimes we have to be honest with ourselves and say, I'm not sure I believe the gospel fully in this moment for this need. Gotta be honest. Without that honesty, it's just behavior modification. I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it down this time. But like, you know, because I don't know, I got a Bible study that I gotta be at, so I'll turn it down. And so now you're modifying to keep up an image, as opposed to modifying because Jesus is greater. Does it make it sense? I just, it's a little quiet, but it's okay. Hold, oh, just really breathe through. It's all good. We gonna make it. And so gospel fluency, it has to start with this honest conversation about who we are and who we're not. If your life is littered with uh, exaggerations and stories, you might have to be honest with the fact that you lie a little bit. (laughs) I love Jesus, but I lie a little bit. Seen those shirts? It's like, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little bit, you know? Being honest with yourself allows for the gospel to be firmly planted at the core of your being, which is where it needs to be anyway. You remember that parable of the sower? Jesus says that some seed fell here and some seed fell here. And he says that there's some seed that fell amongst the rocky soil. And he talks about that soil being what? Shallow. And because it's shallow, the gospel doesn't really take full root. And when it doesn't take full root, it doesn't grow to its greatest potential. That's what I'm talking about. See, you can hear the word and receive it and it not take depth and still lose out on the potential of the fruit that it could be. So what I'm challenging this morning is a mindset. I'm challenging the mindset of sin management so that you could have gospel fluency. Don't be so accustomed to managing your sin or don't get to a place where it's like, oh, my faith is about sin management. No, your faith is about total surrender in every area of your life to the gospel and all that it is. We tend to miss the mark when it comes to our belief because we believe Kinda. We believe when it's convenient. I, I joke with students all the time. You believe in God when it's time to take that test that you absolutely did not study for. They're, at that point, them kids be praying. Every Wednesdays, I'm like, all right, who wants to close this out in prayer? They would be like, mm, no, that's not my thing. You know, I don't, I don't pray. I'm sorry, Pastor Ma, I don't really pray. I could walk into that kid's chemistry class the next day. And they probably out with holy oil, like, Jesus, every test, Lord, every, every textbook, Lord, you're so faithful, give me the knowledge, would call down heaven. Believe sometimes. David Hertwick says it like this in a book, he's talking about youth ministry. He says, when a student changes his behavior for any other reason other than growing, a growing love and appreciation for Jesus, the likelihood exists that he is worshiping another God an idol. Again, that moralistic behavior modification, it allows for us to gift wrap our faith in a box and present it like something that it's not. But when you allow the gospel to hit the depths of who you are and you're honest with yourself, you set yourself up for incredible success Pushing back on this mindset, this moralistic behavior modification, and, and I got to be honest, I don't, I I don't want to make it seem, yeah, I'm hitting kind of heavy here, but some of it is really not our fault. Some of it is really not our fault. Moralistic behavior modification is us trying to validate ourselves through certain behaviors. And oftentimes, that comes by way of report cards, sports awards, right, like perfect attendance. Like these things kind of like almost like do this writing of our brain code to make us think, oh, this is, all right, this is how I kind of, oh, to get validated, I got to do these things. And then what we end up doing is we take that mentality and we try to apply it to God, but that doesn't—it doesn't work. That's not what the gospel is about. In fact, here's a great example. You guys know the story of the the two sons, right? And you. The story of the two sons, you have the younger son who tells his father, I want my share of the inheritance, give me what what is owed to me, and he takes it, and he goes, and he squanders it, right? And then there's this moment while he's in the middle of this pig pen where scripture says he came to himself, like all of a sudden he had a realization, he's like, bro, this is not it, right? Or as kids today would say, this is not the wave, right? Like, so this is not it, bro, this is not how it goes. And he says to himself, he's like, I will go to my father's house. He's like, and my father has all these servants. You know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to work for him. I'm going to pay it off. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell him, listen, I'm sorry I did this. I submit myself to being one of your servants. That's what he says. And then scripture says that when he was a long way off, before he even got to where the father was, that the father was waiting for him. And when he saw him, he ran to where he was. See, this is what I want to highlight real quick. We live in this space sometimes of the younger brother where when we sin or when we find ourselves in or out of right standing with God, we think to ourselves, oh, you know what? I have to do this to get back or I got to do this stuff to make it up or I got to fix this somehow. And I know how I'm going to fix it, God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to read my Bibles, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Bible study, and I'm going to fix it. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to volunteer, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up to be part of the media team because they got Chick-fil-A lunch, and I want to fix it. Because this is kind of programmed in our minds that this is how this works. This is how I get things back. But this is what you need to understand, and this is the crux of the gospel. Your acceptance is never rooted in your performance, it's rooted in Jesus' performance. It's his. That's why the Father can come to you while you're on your way to him. Wrap his arms around you and tell you who you are. And tell you that there's grace and mercy for you. We get this idea and this mindset that we got to fix it. We got to put it back together. We got to make things right. But I need you to understand this. No amount of right living puts you in right standing with God. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And when you allow that truth to settle into your hearts, you set yourself up for some incredible fruit when it comes to the gospel. We're in right standing by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And it's God's kindness that transforms our hearts. Letter B, encourage yourself in Christ. So really quick, actually, let me step back just one more real quick, just to kind of give you a kind of like where I'm coming from with this. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Where'd you get that from? Or, you know, where'd you get this idea of like being honest with yourself, going back to our passage, right? Right. Paul tells Timothy, right, preach the message, be ready whether it's convenient or not. Reprove and rebuke. Reprove means to be critical, have a critical eye on something, to look at it, examine it carefully, and be honest. That's where we're at, right? Being honest with yourself. Reprove and rebuke. You speak against those things that are not true. You push back on the things that are wrong. Okay, what's wrong? Behavior modification. What's right? Gospel Fluency, dependency on Christ, right? Number two, or letter B, encourage yourself in Christ. He goes on to say, Exhort with complete patience and instruction. We have to come to this place where we understand that being rooted in Jesus is the greatest thing we could ever do for ourselves. A few weeks ago, or actually uh, months ago, um, This summer, this past summer, Pastor Bonnie preached a message uh, against anxiety, and it was incredible. So, if you really want to do a deep dive into letter B, I suggest you go back, listen to Pastor Bonnie's message, and you know allow that to kind of wash over you and apply that to your life. But um, one of the things that sticks out to me in this book, Gospel Fluency, Jeff Vanderstelt really pushes back against some of this uh, mentality that we have sometimes when it comes to this stuff, and he says it really helps us when we can ask ourselves some critical questions. In fact, he says that we exhibit unbelief when we are more focused on changing our external rather than our internal. And so there has to be a point where we say to ourselves, okay, I don't want to get focused on my external, I need to get focused on the internal. And so there's some critical questions that we can ask ourselves when it comes to encouraging ourselves in Christ. And again, we're encouraging ourselves in Christ because Christ is eternal. Sometimes we have this tendency to encourage ourselves in our addictions or maybe even our feelings, but those things are temporary. Feelings change. Addictions can be broken. Christ is forever. And so we encourage ourselves in Christ by asking ourselves some critical questions. Who is God? Like, who is his, what is his nature? What is his character? All right? All right. We encourage ourselves by asking, what has he done? And what he has done, it reveals who he is. The things that God does are a highlight to his character. All right? they synony- they're synonymous. They go hand in hand. And then we ask ourselves, who am I in light of God's work? So it's important for us to allow our identity to flow from the character of God and the things that he's done In our life, whether he's delivered you, whether he's healed you, whether he's protected you, whether he's provided for you, we allow those things to be foundations of our identity in our life. And then, last but not least, how should I now live in light of who I am? All right, if I am set free, how should I live my life? Should I live my life enslaved to this addiction? No, I should live my life as one who has been bought with a price and brought from death to life. Right? So I want to show you this diagram real quick. So over here, we've got this nice little tree with this fruit here, right? Desire for control, fear, anxiety, worry. I don't know about you, but like these are some of mine, some of my fruits, right? Um, You might be saying to yourself, oh man, he don't got one of my fruits up there. That's okay. Just imagine yours up there. It'll make you feel better. Um, These different fruits oftentimes are, they're germinating because they're drawing nutrients from somewhere, correct? And if they're drawing nutrients from somewhere, oftentimes they are the product of the nutrients that they're drawing, right? So they're rooted in something that is not necessarily gospel, not necessarily the fruit, that God would have for us. And so what tends to happen is we see the fruit, then we start to ask questions like, well, man, like, well, who am I? Like, now that I got this stuff going on in my life, I guess this is who I am. I guess, I guess I am my anxiety. I am my fear. I am my, you know, I am a controlling person. And like, and so sometimes if you can see here on the right, it might be a little bit small for some of you in the back, but like the question is, who am I? And then the response oftentimes, the time is like, I'm not in control, but I believe that I have to be in control just being real real with y'all, this is sometimes where parents live right here. Like This is like, that's the one, right? When your kid starts making decisions that are different than the decisions that you would make or the decisions that you would want them to, this is kind of where you hang out. You hang out in this place of like, Whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, hold on, wait, wait. Nope, nope. We're not doing that. So then you shut things down, right? You're like, you're not doing this. Your phone is gone, keys are gone, you know, Xbox is gone, computer's gone, everything. You shut it all down because you want to have control. Cool. Sorry, right. right. I, I, I know because I, I just know. I, I walked this like two weeks ago. I was like, yo, we shutting everything down. Anyway. And so then the next question that kind of comes up is like, well, what has God done? Like, and so then you start to think to yourself, well, I, you know, I believe that God is not here. I believe that God is not providing for me. I believe that God is no longer on my side, that he's no longer for me. These are the things that you start to, to think. And you might be thinking to yourself, you're like, well, Pastor Jamal, I've never actually said those words. You're right. You may have never actually said those words, but your actions betray you. Your actions tell on you. And your actions begin to kind of germinate the fruit of the reality of like, you may have not necessarily said this out loud, but you're living like it. And then when it comes to this question, well, who is God? He's unloving. He's impotent. He is, he is absent. He's not present. And then you start to realize, man, I think I believe some things that aren't rooted in the gospel. Remember how I said belief is often the place where we miss the mark? But then something powerful can happen. You can have this moment of repentance where you say to yourself, you know what? I recognize that the fruit of my life lets me know that I'm rooted in something that isn't necessarily true. And so then you take your heart before the Lord and you repent. You say, God, forgive me for not believing These things about the gospel. Forgive me for not believing that you are these things. And then when you root yourself in the gospel, you reverse the order. Because remember, we're trying to draw nutrients so that we can produce fruit. So when you're rooted in the gospel, now you start to ask yourself this question and you ask it in this particular order. Who is God? You start with the center of the story. Right? Not your emotions. God. And you say, God is Faithful. God is faithful. I don't have to worry about it because he's in control. And he that began a good work is what? Faithful to complete it. So if I've decided to root myself now in the gospel, and I allow the gospel to infiltrate my life, I can rest in the promises of who God is. I'm going to get to it. Hold on. What has God done? He saved me. He saved me. More than just saved me, Scripture says that he has sent a comforter, a helper, the Holy Spirit, who is now working in me, bringing about the transformation that I can't do in my own power. And as I rest in the truth of that gospel, it now takes me to this place. Well, who am I? I'm delivered. Right? 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 Let's go again. Let's use something different. Who is God? He is holy. Oh, come on. I'm about to preach. He is holy. He is holy perfect. He is separate from everything else. And what has he done? He sent his son to die for me. And more than that, to take his life and apply it to my life as a credit for righteousness. So what does that mean? That means that right now, I am a son and an heir. And as a son and an heir, I have victory in Christ Jesus. I have victory in the gospel. And the fruit of my life is peace, love, joy, faithfulness, goodness, self- my life is now rooted in something different. So when we're talking about this passage of scripture and Paul is telling Timothy, listen, preach the word when it's convenient or when it's inconvenient. And I'm telling you at first assembly of God, for you to be effective and continue to be effective, you must preach the gospel to yourself first and you start with who is God? He's faithful. He's just. He's holy. He's more than able. He is sufficient. And you allow those things to filter into your life. And as they filter into your life, eventually you will start to reap this type of fruit. But let's tell the truth. We believe this, but we're still getting this type of fruit. Oh, come on. And this is the problem. We don't always believe it fully. Sometimes we doubt Sometimes we struggle. I might believe it for a moment, and then the devil gets busy, and then my thoughts get crazy, and then I start to not believe it. But what if you did? What if you believed it fully all the time? How different would your life look? Which brings me to letter C. Be patient with yourself. You gotta be patient with yourself. You and I are not finished works of God, we're still being worked on. God is still presently, right now, at work in each and every one of us. And so it's important that you're patient. With yourself. This is where I struggle. My wife would tell you, I'm a little bit like, I have like these perfection issues and it's like, it's, 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 it's bad. And she's like, you need to like, you honestly need to chill. Sometimes she just sends me away. She's like, hey, why don't you go outside? She, before it used to be like, get out. Now she like does it like in a calming, like nice manner. Makes me feel like it's my idea when it's really not. She's like, hey, do you want to go to the store? I'm like, for what? She's like, do you want to get like, I don't know, Oreos or something? I'm like, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. I think I will go to the store and get some Oreos. And in her mind, she's like, Jesus, get him out of here right now, please. (laughs) Amen, amen, amen. Amen, Sister Fletcher, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) you got to be patient with yourself. Again, in the First letter that Paul writes to Timothy, Paul says this. He says, this is a trustworthy, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's supposed to be plural. And I am the worst of them. But here is why I was treated with mercy. Paul says, so that in me as the worst, Christ Jesus could demonstrate His utmost patience. Some versions say his unlimited patience. As an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. And I just love the way that Paul rounds this out. He says, now to the eternal king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. So be it you got to be patient with yourself. All of us are on a journey in the process of being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it may take some time. But the scripture says he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come. To repentance. What a patient God we serve. Letter D immerse yourself within this process. So, in a passage of scripture, Paul is encouraging Timothy to preach the message when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient when the fruit of your life is anxiety worry and may seem like an inconvenience the preaching the gospel to yourself in that moment might be the best thing that you could ever do for yourself reprove rebuke be honest with yourself be honest with who you are and be honest with who you're not exhort and encourage yourself in what? In my emotions? No. In my addictions? No. In Christ. Exhort with complete patience and instruction, with patience. Be patient with yourself. And last, immerse yourself within the process. The title of today's message is Gospel Fluency. Fluency happens when we are immersed in the culture in which we are trying to learn. So just being very frank, gospel fluency does not work if you are immersed in a different culture than the gospel. If your decision is that the gospel is only cool in moments when you need stuff and that God is some sort of genie for your life, you're missing the mark. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. A while back, Naomi, my youngest daughter, she got a young girl, uh, a new student in her class who spoke Spanish, only Spanish. And so then, being next to this young, young little girl, Naomi started coming home speaking Spanish, but it was like broken spanish like you know spanglish right like it wasn't really it wasn't fluent at all you know what i'm saying so to the to the people in the place who speak spanish you know you understand what this is you're like okay you're trying you're like you know like they're so kind <laughs> it's 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 really funny like when you you allow us to try to speak your guys's language you're like oh good for you so... all right you keep it up you're almost there Gracias. <laughs> and so Naomi just started coming home saying like little phrases and little things. She'd be like, um, la piece. I'm like, oh, what? What piece? She's like, no, dad, la piece. I'm like, oh, okay. Like pencil. All right, good job. Good for you. Awesome. And then my wife decided, she's like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to put... Duolingo on the kids' tablets. Because then what started happening was Naomi started coming home and, and she really, in her brain, she spoke Spanish. Do you understand? She's like, um, um, Dad, um, I um, want um, uh, tango. Um, I'm like, <laughs> You're, but like in her mind, she really, she's like, Oh, I speak, like she was telling, like she was actually telling people, <laughs> I speak Spanish. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is really like she really did this. She was like, oh yeah, I speak Spanish. Like, I'm like, no, you don't. But my wife decided, okay, you know what? We're going to put Duolingo on the kids' tablets so that they can learn because not just Naomi, but Tahani and Corbin, they also have kids in their school, in their classrooms who speak Spanish. And so they started learning. They started doing the Duolingo, and it's like every day, like, you do it, and you get, like, a star, you get, like, these things, and, and then it became a competition within my, like, with my kids, they're, like, oh, I did my Duolingo, oh, I finished before you, And like, and I'm just, like, is, is this really gonna, like, work, but then, and he only started saying, like, phrases in Spanish, like, as we're driving, like, trying to hold conversations with me, like, she's, like, you know, the sky is blue, and I was, like, oh, you're, yes, you're, you're, You're right, the sky is blue. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, like, Moo, you began, you know? Like, I'm thinking I'm in a Dora episode now, like. But what I realized is that what was broken at first started to become conversational. And as my kids continue to immerse themselves in learning this language, eventually, they could become fluent. For many of us, we speak a broken form of the gospel. And until we can allow ourselves to be immersed in the culture of the gospel, our gospel will always be broken. We'll always be striving for this fruit, but only producing this fruit. But when we allow ourselves, to fully embrace what the gospel is in our lives. is a transformation that takes place. They say that when people are learning another language, they know that they've really learned the language when they start to dream in that language. I believe that when we start to dream in the gospel, our lives begin to produce different type of fruit. And we become fluent in the greatest piece of news anybody could ever have, ever. And that is our goal. That is the goal of every believer. That is the goal of this church. I believe that wholeheartedly. And I can't wait to see it in its fullest form. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I want to start with an invitation to those of you who maybe have no idea what I'm talking about. Like you have no idea anything about the gospel. Maybe you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, the idea of broken English really applies to you because you really, you're like, I don't, even, I don't even understand the gospel. The gospel is simply this. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death that there must be a price paid for sin God sent Jesus Christ to pay that price on our behalf so that we could be free and more than be free that our lives will be credited with a balance with righteousness over our hearts and over our lives you're in this place this morning you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I want to give you this opportunity right now every head bowed and every eye closed you never accepted Jesus but you want to if that's you would you slip your hand up I want to pray for you this morning just waiting a moment Awesome, you can put your hands down. Every head bowed, eye closed still. I just want to encourage those of you who raised your hands. I want to let you know. So the beauty about the gospel is, when you make a decision like that, God begins a work on your behalf. And the joy is that you rest in that work and that it's always working on your behalf, in your favor, because God is for you. God, you see the hands that were raised here this morning to accept you as Lord and Savior. Father, I ask, first and foremost, God, that you would wash them brand new in this moment, God. Let them know, God. Let them know, God, that you are so ridiculously proud of them. God, I ask that you would send people to come alongside of them and help them in their journey as they walk this decision out to serve you. Father, I thank you for those hands that were raised and I pray in Jesus' name you would continue to do your work in their life. Maybe you're here this morning and the truth is you speak a broken gospel. Maybe you speak gospel-ish, right? spanglish you speak gospel ish and you realize that there's some things that you're rooted in that aren't the gospel maybe you realize that there's some areas of your life that you're not fully trusting in the gospel this morning i believe that god wants to give you an opportunity to make a heart change if you're in this place today you say pastor jamal i i love jesus i've given my heart to jesus but i i don't always believe the gospel fully and i want to If that's you and you're in this place, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Yeah. 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 I see those hands. I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Father, you see the hands that were raised this morning, and Lord, I'm counted amongst them, Lord. You know, God, a struggle, God, I know that you're good, God. I know that you're good. I know that you're able, God. Sometimes I just get weary. I know that you're faithful, God. Sometimes I just get scared. I know, God, that you hold all things in the palm of your hand, but, God, sometimes it's it's the doubt, it's the ambiguity, God, and I just, I don't know, God, and I I don't fully trust you all the time, Lord, but, Lord, I want to. I want to, Lord, help all of us to root ourselves in the gospel fully. Help all of us, God, to believe in the gospel in every aspect, in every facet of our life. Jesus, you're so patient with us. Pray, God, for each and every one of us this morning. Help us to immerse ourselves in the gospel so that we could preach the gospel, do the work of the evangelist, and fulfill the ministry that you've called each and every one of us to. We need you. Help us, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thank mm-hmm. you.